I want to hear about writing in notebooks. Oh, okay. Like that side of process. Uh, well, I mean, you, you've had you've had experience, you know, creative writing yourself because I mean, I, in, in addition to in addition to poetry, like you've you've dabbled in other forms of writing too, whether it's just like contributing to the outlines for podcasts, uh, <laughs> but but also like in other things you've written for. Like, what other mediums have you written for? Because I don't think that's actually something we've discussed in depth before. Um, I have written. I mean, I've written poetry. I've written articles i've written i have written some short stories i've written i uh, did not really succeed in writing plays <laughs> but i've never i've never been like a keeping a notebook and jotting ideas into it generally kind of person i'd like to become more of that but i i've i'm particularly fascinated by like the way andy zaltzman talks about like the dog eating the notebook when he when he stayed at john's house that one time like that <laughs> the idea of andy furiously writing in his notebook and then working off his notes and and and, and that idea of what a that that idea of a particular type of comic who is constantly writing in the notebook and then testing out the material and then refining it that way that that level of process seems super fascinating to me whereas if if i have if i am ever funny it is because i am responding to something someone has said right so the the notebook never says anything <laughs> so, <laughs> so so it would never occur to me to try to be funny to the notebook you've never picked up nicholas sparks as the notebook and thought <laughs> Exactly. Well, I I asked just because I mean I think that you you've probably had experience. I mean you've definitely had experience uh, just because you've lived a life where computers were present all the time and parts of your life where they were not. Right. Because uh, that's a relatively new development in both of our respective existences. So you know that it feels different to write in a different format. Yes. Yes, it changes the way that you write in much the same way that I find at the risk of sounding ultra precious about this, as though I'm only writing and doing true writing when I'm wearing my white gloves. But <laughs> uh, I find that writing in pen is very different from writing in pencil. Oh, yeah. Or different pens feel differently in the hand, just like the the pen and the and the ink change how you write and how it feels to write and what you what the writing looks like and then what the writing what writing comes out of you it's all very tied together in weird ways yes and the same thing is is that you know writing on a computer uh, i've never had the pleasure of writing on a typewriter but uh, oh, yeah the writing on a typewriter is very different like when i've written poetry i have specifically written poetry on typewriters really and it becomes very much about again partially because the typewriter is a novelty so mm -hmm. it um it isn't as transparent as the computer can sometimes feel uh although i really i'm not i'm not going to say it is transparent i'm just going to say it feels it sometimes but when i'm typing typing on the typewriter all the stuff that i've written on that has become kind of about the way that the typewriter functions so i mm -hmm. i the stuff that i've written has often ended up being uh, like it doesn't translate into other media. Like it's it's very much about the the, the page. Uh, the typewriter I was using, if I hit the period really hard, light would come through. Like that's really interesting. And then you think about what you can do with that. Hmm. But anyway, that's just an extreme example. But I imagine if you know it was the 1950s and and typewriters were what people used to 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 do that, then it wouldn't. I wouldn't have had any of it. Aww. I heard a little meow. Yeah, she's she's yelling at the skylight again. <laughs> Anywho, that, that's why I asked. That's why I asked. I, I, I just because I mean, like it, it is different depending on the uh, writing utensil that you use. And I was always a little bit, and I think 
I think amongst comedians, you you get this a lot. I was always baffled by uh, comedians who kept up to date with apps. So it's like, oh, now I've got a really good writing app on my phone, so I can just tap down ideas on my phone. I'm like, I can't, I can't write that way. I don't even like writing lists of things I have to do in the day on my phone. It's not a way. It's not a way for me to communicate creatively when I am sending out communication via my phone because it does not feel real. Because there is nothing – to me, a touchscreen lacks any kind of sensory aspect to it. I find that they are just perfunctory and full of typos. That's it. That's the best that I can do with a phone uh, or any kind of uh, touchscreen. I need to like – I need to write and I will actually get something out of it if I sit down with paper. And I will notice too – I mean writing on a computer is fine because that's a different kind of tactile experience. And I think that lends itself kind of well to a dry – and like a drier and more reserved sort of voice where you're sort of implanting, I think, like almost kind of subtler, maybe not subtler, but kind of, again, drier comedic ideas. Whereas, you know, on paper, it's just play. It really does feel like you are kind of loose to do whatever you want. Whereas uh, it, it feels like, you know, on a computer and on a phone, um, there, there are rules. Uh, and, just, just as I'm sure that that some people would find that really odd and and specific, um, you know, there are I, like I've even noticed that you know if you write on a, in like in a notebook, it depends on what kind of notebook you have. Like you might have like a little notebook which you could get away with taking on stage, and you might have like large exercise books. And I have to say, it's like I always got a thing out of writing on legal pad, which is the most cliche comic thing you can do, right? But a lot of it is memory because my father was a physician and he had a lot of legal pads around. That's what he usually wrote on. Ah. So I always had access to bright sunshine yellow paper and the look of blue and black pens on that paper was always like, this is what writing looks like. This is what it should look like. Hmm. Why does paper have holes in it? That's dumb. You should bind it with glue instead of metal. <laughs> so uh that's that, that uh, that's how i would uh, I, I would go about it i would often get um legal pads and i would notice i would notice a difference and i would certainly get like a lot more list oriented with uh legal pads and and trying to to bring things into kind of like categories of ideas and going over past sets and i find i would like look back a lot if i was writing in a legal pad whereas if i was writing in like a notebook i would be a bit more freeform and uh, would often be writing and then doodling related to that and just kind of kept going. It was almost like this race to keep your pen moving. And uh, I believe, as, as Linda Berry has often put in her books on uh, creativity and writing and, uh, and drawing, is that like just keeping the pen moving is what's important. Just keeping whatever it is you're using to write or draw, whatever it is that you do. Like the, the movement kind of brings the act forward rather than the other way around, which is strange. It's it's like a magic trick. One of the things I always found interesting when I would write a song was that the shape of the shape and length of the, this is also true of poetry. The shape and length of the song is defined by the piece of paper very often. So you'd sort of you'd see how much of the piece of paper was left and that's how much more of the song you would write. Oh, uh, and the length and the width of the, the length of the in a poem, especially the length of the line, would be to be harmonious with the piece of paper that the poem was written on, which I've seen in like getting submissions for things to publish. 
uh, or things that were going to be in books that that a lot of poets also do this. Like it's one of the weirdest things because our standard, you know, a lot of people write directly in their word processor now, and the word processor presents them with an eight, eight and a half by eleven page in the U.S. and Canada, and and so very often they're thinking about the width of the line in terms of the uh, in terms of that eight and a half inches, and, and you know, especially if they leave like lots of white space, and as you can do in poetry, you can have it all the way on the other side of the page, and they're thinking about it in terms of the layout of the page. But when you translate that into a normal book, which has you know five inches across, then you have to make all sorts of compromises, and because the nature of poetry is to be precious about these sorts of things, I've definitely published. Uh, poets who are sort of freaked out by the realization that their that their lines are going to be shortened and they want to be they're like oh well if you just wh- why don't you just publish it sideways then and it's like because that is the worst <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is the absolute worst is when you're reading a book and there's a poem and it had to be printed sideways it's just like no that is so bad it's not a centerfold it's not that sexy yeah, save it for the the bus placards with poems on them. Yeah, like you can get away with that there. So yeah, plenty of my songs have either had or not had a third or fourth verse, depending on how much paper, how much was left to that piece of paper. Because the psychic idea of flipping the paper over, going onto a second page, is tremendous. Mm. I, I don't know if that feels the same when you're writing jokes on a legal pad, but uh, if you're thinking of a page carries a song or a page carries a poem, then. Uh, you're going to write poems that are as long or songs as long as a page. Jokes don't usually fill up an entire page, I guess. They they can and they can't because uh, it depends on on if you're like chipping away. If you're like, oh, this is a joke. Now I have to write the long, garbagey, shitty version of it that may or may not have an actual joke in it. Uh, and and this is why there are plenty of comedians who write on stage. They, they they have that working idea and they need to hash it out in open mic form. And open mics, I think, tend to favor that kind of comedian where it's like, oh, okay, well, since you are doing all of the work on stage, you will uh, you will ultimately be kind of uh, more connected with it. Whereas if you are like more connected, I guess, with the editing process, because you're doing that, um, doing that in real time, as opposed to kind of testing it out after writing it and usually after writing it and rewriting it, then going out, you're testing it out. You based on how that is or how much you want to play with it, you keep rewriting it and then doing it. Like there's a weird balance and it's different for everybody. There's a weird balance of how spontaneous you want to allow yourself to be in order to bring out the best of your creative instincts. Like some people will just be frustrated if you ask them to sit down and and write every day but that's that's how i had to do it Mm. because like i would get an idea and sure that's fine and and you could play with that idea if you just had it and want play with it and it's like ah this won't have an ending and i can't tell you how many times i have gone on stage and going like i just thought this this doesn't have an ending (laughs) 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 almost as a get out of jail free card (laughs) but it's fun to embrace whatever side of yourself you're leaning towards wholeheartedly. So if you are someone who doesn't like to operate with a, with a script and you understand why, you understand that it's like, oh, I'm not just being lazy, which is another thing that can be a problem. Like, oh, I'm not just being lazy. I, I, I'm not just bad uh, with, with keeping a schedule. It's like I, I just can't like sit down and get anything good out of it. I'm just wasting my time. I'm not that kind of person. I don't, I don't think when the pen is moving. 
I can't do it and I can't access creative thought that way. Um, like some people, some people can't, some people need to be engaged almost with like the social aspect of stand up because it's funny when you start off in comedy, so much of what you do is reactive. Like so much is about this thing I said, this situation I was in, people remembering things that they did because it's anecdotal a lot of the time. It is them thinking, when was I funny? I was funny with friends. I was funny when I tell that story about the time I was funny with friends at a party, etc. They're They're kind of presenting this voyeuristic humor where it's like, you are in this simulacrum of me being funny three weeks ago <laughs> as opposed to here's a thought that i have that has a beginning middle and end and goes somewhere unexpected and then you get the pleasant surprise that is jokes hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> and and those are those are very different things but that's that i think is where a lot of people go in their in their early writings uh with stand-up and, and that was the same with me as well like people people just write when was i funny how do i try to basically tell a story where the story isn't a story the story is here is proof that I was funny at a party, and it's doubly true if you laugh now. Mm, interesting. So you're capturing you're capturing that reactivity. You're capturing what you ordinarily do, how you describe yourself earlier as being, you know, conversationally funny, where you're directly engaged with something, and how you cannot directly engage with a blank piece of paper. But you're always going to be engaged with an idea and like your little, you know, pet themes and things that you find interesting. And as long as you can still do that, then you should keep – then you, you, you kind of keep going because you do get something out of it. You do get kind of a charge creatively out of it. And then if you don't, you just stop. You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy little podcasts. Mm. Okay, now it's the time that we're going to tell a joke. The theme this time around is notebooks. Why don't you start? Why don't I start? Oh, there's probably a good reason, but let's do it anyways. Chris, go for it. Believe in yourself and believe in your notebook. So I decided to take your advice, Adam, and buy myself a notebook. And so I ordered a notebook from, let's say, a prominent online retailer. And the next day, a package shows up, and it's huge. Uh, so I open it up. And it's, it's clearly some kind of flat pack furniture. And so I look over the instructions, and it turns out that when you assemble all these pieces together with your Allen wrenches and your whoozy what's, it's, uh, it turns out it's a sort of shed that's designed to uh, store your sailing gear in the off-season. So, I mean, I sent it back. I said to them, you know, I asked for a notebook, not this boat nook. So, fine. A few days later, another package, and this one is, you know, more appropriately sized but when i open it it turns out that there's a, a cd in it uh, and of course this is useless because actually i have no idea if i have a cd player anymore i might i'm not going to tear up my house to find it but anyway the cd is a recording of some beethoven string quartets like the early ones which you know pretty fun but i haven't listened to them in a while so i'm a little tempted to keep it but but, but that's not what i'd ordered so i sent back the beethoven saying i asked for a notebook and this is not Bach. 
So great. They realized their mistake. They admitted their mistake, which is a sign of a mature online retailer, I think. And a few days later, another package arrives. And this package turns out to contain a bunch of pieces of paper that have been sort of gathered together with some more durable pieces of paper or cardboard. or I'm not sure what it is exactly, but they sort of protect the other pieces of paper and they look attractive. They have this really nice black and white marbling on them. So once again, I wrote them saying, thank you. This is the notebook I ordered. And so now all I have to do is use it to write a joke. Chris, I know I was silently wincing through most of that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but I think I think the, the real shock to me is that the leftover eggnog that I was drinking at the start of this podcast recording suddenly curdled. Uh. So I think you found your brand. <laughs> This is what happens when uh, I'm expected to write a joke in the wee hours of New Year's Day. <laughs> wasn't wasn't the most fun process uh, uh, discovering that uh, that whole bit. Were you writing that down in an actual notebook? No, <laughs> I tried when I was writing it in a notebook. I just I, I just was writing this, this isn't funny. This isn't funny again and again and again. <laughs> no, I wrote that on the, I wrote that on the computer. <laughs> Oh man, that would have been that would have been a real uh, uh, shocker. That would have thrown me for a loop if you had just uh, started. It's like, yes, I'll do the bit, and you just said, "This is not funny. This is not funny. This is not funny." <laughs> Flipping pages. Oh. oh man, you very nearly. If we hadn't postponed recording for an hour, that is entirely what you would have gotten. <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right. Well, then I suppose it is time for me. I'd like to present you, Chris, with something a bit more philosophical. For you see, many of the greatest comedians are, are really philosophers at heart, as I'm sure you well know. I mean, my God, you should check out Plato's YouTube page. He has a hilarious skit about caves. But I present to you a notebook, as you can hear rustling, that is full of just goodens. Let's see if I can find one. Oh, here's a good one. <clears throat> I like to tell people I'm too cool for school because that's way easier than saying I'm illiterate. Oh, here's a good one. They call them lumbersexuals now, but in my day, we used to call them filthy tree fuckers. Oh, here's a good one. It's quite dated. Ah, yes. I love cereal. Where before cereal, the podcast, could I ever engage in my primary interest? Teen murder. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. <laughs> love Thy Neighbor would be an excellent name for a trailer park full of bigamists. That was, I, I nodded. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that deserves. Oh, here's a good one. If you think about it, being called a motherfucker was only the second worst thing to happen to Oedipus. Oh, here's a good one. Is it a coincidence that you can't spell the word unclean without uncle? <laughs> a good one. If I were Jesus Christ, I'd return to Earth and promise to take everyone, 
people of all races, creeds, and tell them the secrets of heaven if they could survive one night in my haunted house. And that is my bet. Huh. <laughs> and um, I did that with a purpose. Uh, I guess to, pro- <laughs> to provide context to this bit. Um, I had a, uh, despite occasionally having some one-linery jokes that I could just slip into a bit naturally, I really liked operating in that headspace, but I didn't really have a good place to put them. I would find that throwing them out between bits or as an aside during bits, if they were unrelated, would just be distracting and clunky. So I came up with the concept of taking the notebook up and finding my goodens uh, as a way to exclusively do that. Right. And as a, as, a, as a means of exercising what is clearly a tribute to uh, one of my favorite joke writers, the great Jack Handy. Ah, yes. That's a real name, not a made-up name, Yeah, as many have thought. As uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Handy. Of course. I think we all, we, we of a certain age, yes. <laughs> will remember him. But for those not in the know, uh, Jack Handy is best known for his terrific Deep Thoughts, which had originated in print and later moved on to Saturday Night Live when he became a writer. But because the name Jack Handy is such a goofy name, and Phil Hartman would always introduce, and now Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, and then Handy would read out his deep thoughts over uh, calming footage of oceans and whatnot. Uh, Everyone thought it was a pseudonym for Hartman. Right. But Handy... Continued on, he released, I believe, three volumes of Deep Thoughts, as well as a number of great, really off-kilter bits of short fictions and sometimes of short fiction and sometimes of one-liners uh, that he would release. And they were just funny, but they apparently just never worked as stand-up. <laughs> and I guess by creating a weird context where I go up with a notebook and flip through the notebook, and I would usually show the audience that the notebook was empty about halfway or three quarters of the way through <laughs> because I memorized these. I thought it would be way more fun to have that pay off as like this notebook is empty. Uh, and so it gave me this nice little part where people would go on board and go, oh, we're now getting different kinds of jokes. And suddenly they would be uh, a bit more successful as a result, as opposed to interspersing them in a in, in my regular act. Huh. 